Thank you, as always, for listening to Fluff and Crunch. In this episode, Chris and I talk with John Houlihan, the game designer for Modifius's 2D20 Octung Cthulhu. Talk to him about a lot of different things, about the game itself, about its mechanics, its origins, and some forecasts and ideas for the future. Thanks for listening to Fluff and Crunch, where we talk about the connection and sometimes disconnect between system, setting, and story in tabletop RPGs. Hello, Chris. Hi, Jeremy. And we have a special guest. We have a third person with us today. We have John Houlihan, who is the, your official title when it comes to Octon Cthulhu at Modifius is... Uh, it's Craig Lead on uh, Acton Cthulhu. And hey, guys. Right on. We're here. Right on. And thank you so much for giving us uh, your time. But we're going to start off as we always do and talk about what kind of gaming you've done in the last week or so, because it's a Monday, so I had my game. Um, Chris, John... What kind of gaming have you done recently? I've tried to remember. <laughs> I think I played a second round of this Vagrant Song thing, which we've been playing, which I've now said I don't want to play anymore because it's super repetitive. So that's gone on the back burner. But now I don't know what I'm doing next week. So um, go on, John, you can go next. Uh, well, um, my partner was away this weekend. She was up in uh, Scotland. So I got to do some gaming with the boys and we played several rounds of Escape from the Dark Castle. And we're intending to play Spectre, which is the Modifius board game with James Bond run, but um, someone cracked the whiskey too early, so we didn't quite get around to it. <laughs> we didn't quite get around to it. It was, it was like, oh, we're too drunk to learn the new rule set now, so uh, we just played Dark Castle again. Right on, right on. Well, I had my, uh, uh, th- I believe it was our third session in our second episode of our Star Trek Adventures campaign. I'm using the support character mechanic. I'm trying to push it. And I deliberately split the party in half and put some of them on one planet and some on another. So I had the medical personnel fending off Klingons, trying to protect um, some terraforming researchers. And they they were a strange combination of like more aggressive in some ways and less in like less decisive in others. So what ended up happening was they saved the vast majority of the science, um, uh, personnel. However, they ended up allowing the facility to be leveled from orbit with uh, Klingon orbital fire. So they saved everybody, and they and they absolutely lost the facility. And then the other ones are trying to go negotiate a truce between two like warring religious factions on a planet. So it went well. It 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 went really well. I probably got a couple more sessions, and we usually play games for about three or four months, and then we'll rotate to something else or choose a new GM. I wish I could make three or four months. You wish. Well, is, you, you have the you have the shiny thing uh, disease. Yeah, I do. And anything, anytime supers come up, you're. Yeah, I never you're play off. supers. I just talk about playing supers because I can't find a system I like. Aspirational about supers. <laughs> yeah. um, well, the purpose of today's episode is to talk with John about primarily about Octane Cthulhu. Um, from a from a user perspective, from a gamer perspective, and from a designer perspective, and maybe just some other goings on that you're involved with at Modifia. So, um, for sake of interest for our listeners, can you give us a little bit of the your gaming background? Like, how and when did you get the bug and get into gaming as a gamer, and then uh, and then get in as a 
as a as a designer oh sure yeah so i guess like a lot of people my first experiences with gaming was dungeons and dragons many many years ago uh, i remember the red basic set being shown to me at school a guy bought it in and i was wow this is incredible i've never kind of, you know you could do these kind of things because i was a big mm. sci-fi and fantasy fan as a reader as a as a kid i just read voraciously um, and so that D&D sort of got me hooked on the, on RPGs. Uh, and then when I went away to um, Polytechnic, as it was in those days, um, I ended up sharing with a, a big bunch of lads. And we were um, we were big Warhammer fans, so we did 40K and we did Warhammer Fantasy Battle. And then we did Warhammer RPG and Call of Cthulhu. And we just because we were cheap students it was a very <laughs> it was a very cost effective way of spending time you know you could just play for hours and hours and uh, um, and, and it was cheap and great fun as well and I, that i guess that's where i first sort of first got the bug after after that i um i was, I was always very keen on um, writing as a career so i went and became a video games journalist for a long long time probably a good 20 years started out on PC gaming mags, uh, and ended up running computerandvideogames.com for many years. Uh, I don't know if some of your readers hopefully will remember that. And um, when that came to an end, I was just sort of thinking, oh, good Lord, what am I going to do next? I don't really, I haven't really got any clear directions. And um, Chris Birch, Modifius founder, uh, got in touch and said, oh, we'd worked, I think we'd worked together on an old project of his um, called uh, Joystick Junkies, which was a video gaming clothing company. And he said, oh, I'm forming this new, you know, gaming company called um, Modifius. Uh, would you be interested in doing anything for it? So, yeah, I, yeah, that sounds great. And I literally finished uh, Future Publishing, which was kind of computervideogames.com, uh, on the Friday and started work at Modifius on the Monday. And that was wow. something like eight years ago now, coming up for eight, in fact, eight years this, uh, this month, yeah. Eight years this month, um, and I started. Um, I started doing web uh, web design uh, or, or running the store for Modifius uh, to start off with, as well as sort of helping out on Acton Cthulhu here and there, writing fiction, and eventually I wrote a um, an adventure called the Trailborg Monstrosities, um, which was the sixth edition and Savage Worlds, and yeah, it gradually just kind of um, eventually moved more and more into the RPG design side of stuff and less and less on the store management. And um, yeah, a couple of years ago, um, myself and a small team at Modifius uh, took on the task of redesigning Acton Cthulhu for the in-house system 2D20. And um, that launched, so I guess, about a year ago, officially. It was about six months pre-order period where we had the quick start out and sort of first sort of draft of the rules and stuff like that and then last september 2022 that launched and ever since we've been trying to um you know kind of grow the rpg get some interesting missions and adventures and source books for fans and uh here we are one year later it's uh, been a fun ride I can't believe that you used to do computer games and stuff. That's quite funny. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I mean, I still do a little bit um, away from Modifius. So I still do some consultancy work and some script writing work on video games um, nowadays, which is 
really interesting going over onto having reported on them for uh, years and years. I've um, I've gone over onto making them now, which is another interesting facet of uh, of doing mainly on the narrative side, but uh, rather than the game design side. But um, but yeah, it's uh, it's really intriguing. Yeah, because that was my a very long time ago now. I was, I always still talk about it like it's, like it's semi recent, but I I did I did computer games from ninety seven to what two thousand and two, so that's really like twenty years ago. <laughs> but oh, I always right. talk about it as something like, oh yeah, you know, I, I used to work in the computer games industry. I wrote computer games, but it's like it was twenty years ago. <laughs> nice. Uh, what kind of games? I worked for Grem. Well, I was Gremlin when I worked for them, but then they got bought out by Infogrames. So it was I worked on Actress Soccer two and three, and then I did a wacky races game on the what was that on the Dreamcast? So that's going back a bit. Oh, I was Sega. That when Sega made consoles, uh, and I did a, I did a golf game for the N sixty four. I can't remember. And the last thing I did, I, was, I think it was on tennis game. I did on the on the PlayStation. Wow. I used to love Actress Soccer. That was brilliant. Yeah, again, that was the first game I got to put on. It literally started for the company about two months before Actress Soccer 2 was going to release and I had to do some work on the on the PC version of that. Um, so, yeah, that was really cool. Like, wow, this is a game that's, like, big, and I'm, I'm working on it straight away. And then after that, you know, the, the, the company was so badly managed. I mean, it doesn't even exist anymore. <laughs> so, uh, yeah. So, but, yeah, it was a... It was a it was a fun five years while it lasted. It always feels like it's a huge chunk of my life, but it's it's not. It's like a fraction now. It's your quite intensive development, though, isn't it? It kind of yeah yeah takes over your life like yeah. in a big one. I think yeah. I don't think it's I don't think things in that industry have really got any. I think the difference is now is that people now talk about how bad it is, and so the press for that is getting back, and so they're having to not do it. But certainly, I don't I don't think things have actually got any better in how how much crunch people have to do. Sure. Anyway, all right. Okay. Uh, what interests and motivates you most when it comes to acting Cthulhu as a setting and a game? Well, I suppose there's a couple of things. Really, I'm a real uh, historical buff. Like, I really love history. I read endless historical fiction, and you know, I, I did uh, history A level and a little bit of poly and stuff as well particularly military and political history. It's always been a real fascination for me. And World War II was, is one of my favourite uh, subjects. And so I knew, I know quite a lot about it, having read lots of books and, you know, first-person accounts and all that kind of thing. But my other, you know, another great love in, in terms of um, literature is H.P. Lovecraft. So, uh, you know, the chance to combine the two Acton Cthulhu combines, you know, great love of one of my favourite time periods with, with you know, H.P. Lovecraft's writings. I mean, Chris Birch, founder of Modific, he created Acton Cthulhu. It was, one, it was the first game for the company as well. So, um, you know, it was nice to be there right at the beginning and, so, and sort of see, and see how it's kind of grown since then. But, yeah, I guess I guess that's probably the, the, the short answer is that um, a brilliant and amazing period in history fascinating endlessly fascinating um and combined with with some great literature really yeah it ticks all my boxes basically <laughs> can't can't really say uh, more than that it's you know world war ii with tentacles as well as call it as shorthand it's it's just uh, a fascinating thing and i think it, it gives you you know you've got the other thing i'd say it gives you a very broad canvas because you've got you know the war in europe you've got the war in the Pacific, you've got 
cold sort of cold war in all the neutral countries there's such a vast scope of things to write about that um that uh you know you i don't think you could ever get tired of it because you, you i mean i've i've read it must be dozens if not a good couple of hundred world war ii history books and there's still so much to discover you know people come up with new stuff all the time i mean i don't know if you i've only seen the first episode but the founding of the SAS has just been turned into a sort of Peaky Blinders kind of um, action series in the UK, SAS Rogue Heroes. And it's a really different treatment, but I love it. I just watched the first episode and I thought it was fantastic. Yeah, I might need to have a look at that then. I think the, the missus is quite into a World War II yeah. stuff. So, yeah, have a look have at either that. of you seen the, the Netflix treatment of uh, Operation Mincemeat? Just came out a few months ago. No, not yet. It's it's definitely on the list, but I, I haven't. Yeah, it was well done. Um, it was uh, it, it it was definitely well done. It came out. I want to say like May, something like that. Uh, I think Colin Firth is in it. It it was a. I think it was a good treat. I don't know that story in deep enough detail to you know to to be nitpicky about the history versus the Hollywood or whatever. But it was a. I think overall broad brushstrokes at least it was a really good treatment of it. Yeah, sure. Of a really, a really strange story, too. Yeah, this is the one where they plant papers on a dead body. Yep. The body. And float them into Spain. That's exactly right. And that is picked up, and then the Germans think that that is the actual plan. Whereas, I can't remember, it's a diversion, isn't it, from the comments? I believe it was to, to convince them that the invasion was in Greece. That's right. Absolutely. <laughs> so, you know... Um, yes, you know, just, as I was saying earlier, you know, stories you literally couldn't make up are, are yeah. all there in World War Two. Well, you know, as a segue into my next question, I'll, I'll I'll throw this out there, just as one of those things, those pieces that you know we we keep uncovering about this war. Uh, you know, uh, von Rundstedt, who was the you know one of the top commanders in the West when Normandy, the Normandy invasion happened, a year after the war, and he was still being held, you know, for a long time. It came out in an interrogation, you know, ongoing conversations with him. The interrogator, I guess, dropped some kind of indication as to how many divisions the Allies actually had. And in 1946, von Rundstedt still thought that the Allies had about twice as many divisions as they actually had. And so in his mind, the calculus of where, like how credible could a diversion be somewhere completely different was completely out of whack because he had this idea of we just had so many soldiers. Um, so let me ask you this as you, cause I, it's so nerdy, but it's so wonderful. Um, World War II with tentacles and that picture in forest of fear with that tentacle tank is absolutely brilliant. Uh, whoever did that needs to like buy that man a beer or a woman, whatever. Um, <laughs> well, I have to say that inadvertently it's you, you're the man who, uh, you're the man I think who, uh, read the manuscript and said, there's a little comment in it that said, unless there's a picture of this, I want my money back, essentially. I think that <laughs> was, was like, me. Yeah, no, it's absolutely true. I know we've got it on the cover, but we've got to have another one in there somewhere. So you got to buy yourself a beer, I think, on that score. <laughs> you know what, too? And I wish you could have seen me when I got to the the uh, the, the incredible hat tip to Where Eagles Dare. Uh, 
both the novel and the maiden song. I was like, oh my gosh, I, I was I was doing little victory laps in my room. I was like, that is the freaking coolest thing in the world. I don't care if none of my players are going to get it. We're going to stop and talk about an Iron Maiden song. But my my question, my question is, how do you? Because the 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 history is so rich and the colors are so uh, they're so vibrant. You know, in terms of the story, you know, the villains and the good guys and the drama. How do you balance between the real history and the made up stuff? Um, and how do you, where do you personally seek to draw the line between those in this game? Well, I think it's, it, it's a really interesting question, actually, because, you know, World War II, for all its fascination, has some, you know, real man-made horrors that we would never want to see again. And we always, one of the guiding things we always talk about is, you know, we won't ever have the mythos responsible for any of the crimes that were committed during World War II. That's kind of... Um, you know, that's a no-go area. The Nazis were you know, that stuff way before, you know, any intervention from our gods or anything like that. But there is, yeah, I think there is a little bit of a tension between, you know, real events because you obviously want to be very respectful as well of the actual history and not, you know, in any way denigrate the sacrifice, immense sacrifices and uh, that people made during that. But on the other hand, we do have a sort of conceit that this is a secret war, you know, a war that is bubbling away underneath the surface of real events. And we, when we try and do uh, things like the Forest of Fear recently, which is based around kind of, you know, the real events of the Battle of the Bulge, there's this sort of idea that you're getting the inside story, the sort of secret history that, was so shocking and so, you know, out there that the story couldn't be told until, you know, the archives are now 70-odd years old, 70... So um, they can finally be opened and you can finally be told the untold story, of, which was too much for humanity to face at the time. But, yeah, I think you do have to tread a line quite quite carefully sometimes, you know, especially, you know, Atunka Thing is a very pulp setting as well, so... I kind of, I think that does kind of give it a little bit of a separation from, you know, some of the the real events. It's like, um, I, you know, one of my big touchstones, I guess, is Indiana Jones. So, you know, you do he is battling the Nazis there, but they're they're not quite cartoon Nazis, but they're you know the sort of very stereotypical. And I would say our our opposition in in Acton Cthulhu, the Black Sun, who are this sort of sorceress. Um, sorcerous occult force who are trying to, um, you know, resummon uh, one of the elder gods to Earth. Them and Natwolf, they're kind of, uh, who are the sort of more tech-focused Nazis, they're a little bit removed from the realistic uh, depiction of, of, of World War II that sort of underpins the whole thing. So I think we, we do sort of have this degree of separation to an extent, A, by the conceit of the hidden war, but B, also by the sort of more pulp flavour we've tried to get this time around in 2d20 yeah it's funny one of the things it reminds me of is um i don't know if you've read atomic robo which is a, so atomic robo as a character is a robot designed by nikola oh. tesla and because he's a robot he is his story span from late to yeah, late 1800s right. to the modern day and there's about two of the graphic novels are set during World War II, and they're very much the kind of mad science Nazis doing crazy experiments with brains in jars and and that kind of stuff. So it's yeah, it kind of for me it hits it hits that kind of bit as well, where you can go the the, the mad science um, route, where 
yeah, you can do the pulp, you can do the pulp aspect of it. So I always enjoy uh, that kind of stuff. Too. But yeah, I'd never really thought about that before. Like, yeah, it's, it must be really difficult to kind of match bad stuff that was real done by real people and then you're also trying to have cthulhu yes <laughs> which which isn't real which is also really nasty and then you've got yeah, yeah. And then sort of healthy stuff so yes uh i guess that's a difficult balance in it yeah it's it's a line you've got to walk i mean we we're very sort of kind of conscious about it i think that 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 does help but yeah, you know, I think you know you've always got the the other two factions in the the alien factions, as I think of them, the Migo, who were the sort of crazy insectal scientists from Pluto or beyond Pluto, and the Deep Ones, who are you know Cthulhu's children living under the water and ready to rise up and do their own thing once in a while. So they kind of give it that you know once you see those guys on you know it, it involves you think oh, we're, we're a little bit away from you know, documentaries here. <laughs> we're definitely we're definitely veering into sort of a pulp setting. What aspect of Acting Cthulhu, either system or setting, are you most satisfied with? The thing about Acting Cthulhu and any any RPG from the Diffus is it's a real team effort. So I, I think you've spoken to Nathan, who's the system rules designer, um, yeah. and, and he's a great guy. You know, he comes up with some brilliant interpretations of stuff we'd like to, yeah. to get in it. And we've got, you know, writers who bring the factions to life. Um, we've got people who do bits of the history. Some who are, you know, even things like vehicle experts. So they know when we say a Panzer Mark III, they know that it's a particular kind of Panzer and stuff. I can only speak from a personal kind of point of view, but I suppose the bits I was most proud of doing and these are sort of narrative design bit or well narrative design bit which was the factions and how we fleshed out the factions in this edition so black sun were were fairly well realized i'd say from the the sort of call of cthulhu versions um but we brought Nacked wolf i think much more prominently into um, 2d20 to give a that kind of balance because those guys are sort of Contend as well as contending with the allies, they're contending against each other, and I thought that would make a really interesting dynamic where you have these sort of uh, internal fight, which eventually becomes a civil war in the, the latter part of the timeline. Um, and also throwing in the Migo and um, Deep Ones as players, not playable factions, but important players um, in, in this secret war. I thought, I thought, I think. I think that that bringing those two out, those three out into um, into into the two D twenty version is probably as a narrative designer, which is kind of I guess why or director, which is probably what most of I do. That was immensely satisfying to be able to tee up these six different factions, Section M and um, Majestic on the Allied side, who are pretty much as good allies as you can get. Occasionally there's a bit of friction, but but by and large they rub along just fine. But then having the interplay between the other four enemy factions, if you like, I think that's given it a dynamic that is really interesting because sometimes you may ally with the Deep Ones against Nactwolf and sometimes you may ally with, I don't know, the Mego against the Deep Ones. You know, it gives you a whole realm of kind of possibilities to explore. On a kind of more game designery level, I can only speak from the bit I did, um, which was designing the magic system, which was 
this kind of division between um, battlefield magic and ritualistic magic. So you've got short, short form, far off battlefield spells that would be, you know, good in the heat of any action, in the heat of action. And then this longer form um, ritualistic magic, which is what we more, I guess we think more of as traditional HP Lovecraft magic. Vast people in a stone circle, chanting, sacrificing things. Demons coming from the outer dark and they worship them. So I, I kind of designed quite a lot of that and we brought in, we, we kind of brought in the idea on the allied side that they didn't have anything to counter off, counter the, the, the magic of the mythos to start with so that they'd be forced to go and look to earth traditions like Celtic mythology and magic systems and Norse mythology and magic systems in Section M's case and psychics and ESP research in Majestic's case. And I did quite a lot of the work on that, including quite a lot of the battlefield spells, quite a lot of adaptation of the rituals and quite a lot of the lore around that. And Nathan made them come alive mechanically, but the sort of I found I found that a really fun and interesting, challenging too, but a really interesting system to design the magic system. Yeah, I think we've we said quite a few times. Oh, sorry, Jeremy, on the on our podcast that one of the things we really like, like about Actica, obviously it had a well-realized setting beforehand, but the fact that it's taken the two D twenty system, which has existed for quite a while, and did a really solid, well-realized version of it, like to the extent that we kind of say. If someone's just hoping to get into two D twenty the system they want to use, we kind of just point them <laughs> at Cthulhu and say, "Look, this is the one where um, it's just a really well written version of it." Um, and then seems to like links quite well to the SRD. So, and it wasn't a case that they just took a you know you just took a previous version and went right. We're going to scrub that off and we're going to call it we're going to act to Cthulhu. It's very much its own thing, but it's just it's a really solid realization of the rules. And the fact that it had the magic stuff was great because previous to that. You know, it'd been quite a while since we'd had any magic rules and they were kind of almost all the ritual stuff. It wasn't really like, kind of like you said, the battlefield magics. So that was, yeah, that was really cool to see. Oh, thanks. Yeah, I think, you know, I think it was, I think it was a, a, a combination of like really testing it to just, you know, getting, getting very talented people to work on it and the team who did work on it, fantastic. But also being able to throw it out well in advance to play testers and RPG, you know, people who've played RPGs for years and years and just get their take on it so that we were able to really test it to destruction before we actually put it out there. And I think it kind of, we tried to keep it nice and simple as well so that you could just try it and use very clear language so that it was easy to understand, you know, just to give it that that clarity that people would be able to just pick it up, read it and go, Oh yeah, I get that. And lots of examples as well. I think we did we did a reasonable job in saying, well, this is a spell, and this is how it work, and this is how it might work in a kind of gameplay situation. I think that I think that stuff's really invaluable because it takes me a little time sometimes to I read a rule and I go, doesn't make sense. How does that work? And then I you know I'll see a gameplay example and I go, ah, oh, gotcha. Exactly. I know exactly how that works now. So I think a lot of I think it helped it that there was a lot of iteration and a lot of playtesting went into it before it actually saw the light of day. We had that six-month window as well, I think, when we released it on pre-order and everyone got, you know, a, a PDF of the Games Master's Guide and the Player's Guide. And we had a ton of feedback from, from players as well who actually went out and used those rules 
and then came back and said, oh, we like this bit, or we're not sure about this bit. So I think, yeah, iteration is a real help in that. And, you know, the help of playtesters and, and fans and everything really helped hone that final rule set into something that um, I think everyone everyone at the company can, and is, is very pleased with. And I'm really... It's been really great to hear that, that people, fans, are really pleased with it as well. I, I, I heard that a lot. They say, oh, yeah, we really like this iteration of 2D20 because it's, we just pick it up and it's, it, it, it works. Yeah, I love how, especially the magic system, um, it, it evokes for me the proper feel for what mythos magic would be. You know, it's, it's dangerous. You might get a headache. You might get a nosebleed. Uh, and it, it's actually been um, it's been satisfying. And when I ran it earlier this calendar year, I had uh, uh, one of my players came over from Five E Land, and um, trying to be like, okay, listen, magic's different. <laughs> it's 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 going to cost you. Um, but uh, yeah, so I think I, I think that the it, it's a it's a really good melding of the rules that put as I always say put their thumb on the scale that pushes the activity and the results at the table toward what the setting requires and what fuels the proper feel for the setting. So well done. <laughs> Thanks. Also, uh, also want to make sure there was some fun stuff for the DMs to do or miscasts as well. So yeah. there's a little bit of advice about, you know, GMs have as much fun as you can with miscasts because if they, if they get it wrong, this is your time. This is your time to shine, GM. You can you can have some fun with this. Do you? Uh, this this is uh, this is off the cuff. Just making me think. You're making me think of this. Do you folks see any um, any plans down the road for additional traditions? Like one of the things that I did in my game is my player. He didn't want to. He wanted to play an American, but he didn't want to play a psychic. So he said, "What if I could do voodoo?" Mm. And uh, we went through and reskinned some of the battle magic spells and and then modified some of the. Um, the rituals do you see in future um in future publications any kind of additional traditions additional things like that for the magic system yeah absolutely we we really want that to be kind of integral to the um integral to each book we release we kind of it was we made a little bit of a start in forest of fear with a couple of new magic traditions there which is the arden one uh, uh the arden kelp one the arduina um, magic system and um, the I won't spoil the big um, the big reveal for people who haven't, uh, haven't seen it yet. But there's another mythos tradition in that, and I think as we we you know we do we go we expand the line and keep going and keep going. I'd, I'd like to see. I mean, certainly one of the things we've talked about is having an, another is having a magic source book. I mean, it's great in that you're absolutely right. And you know, I'd encourage people if you have a tradition, just take those take those magic rules and reskin them because there's absolutely no reason you wouldn't want to have a voodoo practitioner or some other kind of tradition that we haven't expressed yet. But you can absolutely do that 100. percent I think the only thing is you've got to be you've got to be kind of a little bit careful where you know the great thing about runic magic and Celtic magic is there. You know, there's not many Celtic practitioners around at the moment to to, to be offended by it. But you, you you don't want to really impinge too much on real world. You know, I could see foresee problems. For example, if you started doing is it Kabbalah the the um, that Kabbalah system magic that might not go down too well. But you know, for other other stuff, you know, definitely. 
more magic for that. Oh yeah, for sure. I think it's got to work in theme as well. I think it's got to work in with with the books we do. Um, so, for example, I'm working on Serpent and the Sands at the moment, which is our next campaign book, which will be the first one out next year, sort of end of March, we, we're currently targeting. And that's got a load of, um, obviously, a load of serpents in it. So uh, we've got an expanded spell book of Yig in that. So there will be, you know, there will be more coming. And we, I think we're going to move Serpent and the Sands is, is the first one. We, we're probably you'll see this properly, uh, but we're going to move to camp- two big campaign books a year and there'll be three quarters campaign and one quarter expansion material. So you'll have new careers, new tools of the trade, new spells, you know, stuff that will appeal to players, that are reason for players to get them. Um, and then the, re- the other, say, 75% will be a big campaign um, based on uh, you know the setting, so Seven of the Sands is North Africa in 1941. So I think that's if it. Oh, I hope it proves successful. That's just a model we're we're looking at, um, and that would definitely include expanded magic options and new funky weapons and strange equipment. We've had some real fun ones for Seven of the Sands, so um, hopefully that will be a. Uh, That'll be a that'll be a, a good model to follow. I'm assuming Serpent and Sand is North Africa. Yeah, North Africa 41 at the um, sort of June 41, so first siege of Tobruk around there. Right on. It's it's, it's a sort of um, you know early-ish war start campaign yeah. for people who think we're going to do try and do one early war and one later war, one per per year if we can if we can fit them in. So. Um, yeah, that'd be, that that'll be that'll be the first one, and then hopefully later next year we will be doing a D Day one. Ooh, that'd be good. I don't think you can answer this. I suspect this is going to be something you can't. So I'll, I'll say what the question is, and I'll give you a backup question if you can't answer it. So I put, can we expect more Cthulhu verse games? So I mean, after so we got at Cthulhu, then we've got uh, cohorts. Uh, if you can answer that, can we expect more? But if not, what set, what kind of time period set would actually you like to do another Cthulhu one in if it was going to become like, a, yeah, we're going to do a bunch of different Cthulhu. Oh, sure. I, I mean, I do know there are more, I can't say much, but I do know there are more in the mix. So be, be prepared cool. for them. I won't say what they are, but funny enough, the, the one I most want to do is my own personal one, which is um, Monju Cthulhu, which is, Napoleonic Cthulhu, set during the height of uh, the empire. I've written a couple of um, books about it already, fiction, uh, featuring the uh, featuring a, 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 a sar called um, Gaston de Bois, and he's a very dashing but quite dim hussar who um, is kind of slowly discovers the um, the madness of the mythos, uh, which is underpinning the Napoleonic Wars. So. I want to make it kind of, again, quite a pulpy, lots of swordplay, dashing heroes and heroines, lots of verbal... Uh, one idea I had for it was doing kind of like a, a verbal combat system where, you know, the insults and the the bombos you throw at your opponent can mentally damage them as much as your sword work. So, <laughs> and maybe a little bit more social interaction as well because it's all about, you know, balls and and and... and spying and diplomacy and all that kind of thing so yeah that's my that's my kind of that's what i want to that's what i want to develop is uh, I, i've i've done I've, I've done some outlines 
and a skeleton and some structure on what the books might be. But yeah, I, I love that period of history, um, the whole kind of high Napoleonic stuff. Um, and so I think that would be, I think that'd be a fascinating setting to explore. And 2D20 would be a perfect, um, perfect way to do it. Um, it may be a little while off. I'm just writing the third book at the moment. I've just finished part one of it. And that sets up the whole kind of uh, meta plot for uh, Monduke Cthulhu RPG. So it will have um, the sort of explanation of why the Napoleonic Wars are happening, built in, woven into the story, which again, dashing but dim, Gaston de Bois will slowly discover as he goes through uh, as he goes through the uh, the piece. But uh, yeah, that, that that's my dream project for <laughs> that's my dream project for um, for two D twenty, and there will be others as well too. I do I do a very little bit of work on Cahors Cthulhu as well at the moment. I've done some fiction writing to flesh out the characters and stuff for that. So uh, so so that, that should be good fun. But yeah, yeah, Monty Cthulhu. That's that's what I'm going to do. <laughs> I love the name. <laughs> yeah, and poor. And, and and poor guest, he's dimwitted, and then the more he learns, the less dimwitted he becomes. The more he wishes that he stayed dimwitted. <laughs> I think because he's, he's, he's intellectually challenged. He's very brave, very hot-headed, but as a hussar should be, I guess. Um, but um, but uh, yeah, yeah, he may he may come to regret it. You never know. <laughs> I think that would work really well. With with a two d twenty system, because obviously we we had like in Conan, we had the the ways of damaging people by doing displays of power and killing people and stuff. But yeah, a, a witty insults thing would work would works really well in the system. So to have that sort of codified and to make that a little bit different, like a subset, that be yeah, I'd love that idea. That really yeah, I've no idea how I'm going to make it work. I'm going to have to lean heavily on, on nothing for this. But um, but I I just love the I love the idea of. You know, before swords are drawn, or even uh, you know, uh, uh, the ambassador's reception, these two characters have a set piece seen to using the power of words, and one of them is so damaged by the the passes out, or is forced to retreat, or something like that. I think that would be hilarious. <laughs> I could see using using truths persistent truths truths for the next scene based on you know you make this guy look like a schmuck in front of a bunch of people and and then it, it, it i think the system has all the pieces there that's that's uh, yeah that's, that's yeah i can absolutely see yeah, that very cool idea you could actually create a truth for a, uh you know your foe based on how savagely verbally either assault you know assaulted them or outwitted yeah. them or Make them look small, or whatever. Yeah, it'd be great. Uh, you're saying that we're, we're going to see more Cthulhu verse or you know mythos uh, oriented uh, games. Do you see this as maybe a, a, a fork in the road for Modiphius publishing more in-house settings rather than licensed settings? Because you I mean the, the, to date that's been the, the you know it seems like the primary um, you know mo of the the company what do, can you comment on that at all um i you know i'm 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 a humble <laughs> creative lead I, you know i'm not privy to the sort of yeah, directions of the uh, of the like the senior management group but i you know i do know that there is kind of an ambition to develop you know a little bit more of our own ip and against the gods is certainly the start of that i mean i would always suspect 
and this is totally my own opinion rather than the company line, that it will always be a bit of a balance between two because, you know, you've got, it, it's great to create original IP and, and, uh, and settings and stuff, but it is a hell of a lot of work, a lot of world building, you know, and, and not just that, you can create the greatest worlds and if people don't hear it or don't identify with it, it can be tough to reach them, you know, and there's a lot of competition out there. So, um, you know, you say Star Trek, the role-playing game, and everyone knows immediately what you mean, right? Whereas if I said to some people, I'm sure, Acts and Cthulhu, the role-playing game, they'll be like, okay, well, what does that mean exactly? So I think um, I think there is an ambition to, to develop more of our own um, original games, certainly in the role-playing space. But I think I always suspect it will rather be a balance between you know, original original stuff and licensed IP because I think licensed IP can give you that great broad audience already there who are just waiting to play in their favourite world, you know. But that's not the official line. That's just my line. <laughs> you know, and it, it, it's interesting that you, you say that. I mean, I had uh, back in early September, uh, the game convention that we run here in town finally came back. Oh, nice. And... Um, it was very nice to be around people in, in person. I mean, like, you know, and have opportunities to play with different people. And, and I, I ran um, I ran one Octon Cthulhu that was an original, and I ran one uh, Star Trek that was uh, from one of the published books. Three of my players were these three guys who were interested in playing Dune but had never played 2D20. And so they wanted, but they were also Trek fans. But they were interested in playing Dune because they were fans of the literature. Yeah. And so it, you're right. You you're you're drawing in people who who are like gamer friendly, but are not necessarily gamers because it's the property that's drawing them. And so they came through one to go to the other. It was it was uh it was an interesting it was interesting at the table because they they, they weren't like the hardcore give me the rules and let me try to break the rules in my favor gamers. It was qu- actually quite nice. Yeah, and you know it's great. However, however they discover a system, it's it's great. But you know, with June, of course, people have read the book and love the book for decades now. And with the movies coming out, the movie coming out, that was a, just a great, great time to do it. I think great, great system too. But um, but uh, yeah, you know, if you you want to cast a broad net, <laughs> as it were. Oh, so staying on the the IP thing, we asked Nathan this same question. Moving away from Cthulhu, if you could choose any settings or any IP to have Modiphius go, yeah, we're going to do a 2D20 game for this. Uh, again, <laughs> no official one. My personal favourite would be uh, an RPG set in um, Ian Banks' The Culture. Ian M. Banks' The Culture, um, just because they're personally some of my, some of my favourite ever books. Um, and I, he was a fantastic writer and just an amazing ideas man. Uh, and he had the perfect combination. Uh, he's one of the writers I admire, absolutely admire most. Um, and there's just some fantastic sci-fi kind of um, setups you could do with with um, with the culture. And um, I think 2D20 would work quite well, probably, with um, in a culture universe with all these great big orbitals. And it, it's kind of transhumanism, I suppose, is is the one word really, where man, you know mankind's advanced out in the galaxy they've paired up with um artificial intelligences the minds who who they created have far surpassed them uh and the minds just kind of keep an eye on things and run things and 
send out humans to, and, and other species to, to to do jobs. If you they, they got a division, haven't they? It's called Special Circumstances, I think, is the sort of secret agent division of the culture, and they dispatch them off to do all kinds of first contact missions or slowly subvert societies from the inside and stuff. Yeah, I'd love to see an RPG based in that. Yeah, I'm not I'm quite vaguely familiar with it, but I mean, my experience with 2D20 at this point is that it, it can run pretty much anything because we've seen it go from, you know, like Conan to like really pulpy stuff. Uh, and then we've seen it run things like Dune, which is like massive world builder and that's a more narrative version. So I'm pretty confident the 2D20 can run most things because it gets changed every time, which we, well, I mean, we've done a bunch of episodes yeah. on the fact that because that core is so straightforward you can then change all the other add-ons to make it work so yeah i can't see any reason why it wouldn't yeah it's quite system. i think it's very flexible and you know you can take a setting and then kind of have the setting influence the rules and sort of vice versa to a bit but yeah you kind of go well this is this is a setting how are we gonna for example you know um model uh insanity in 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 action cathedral or how are we gonna reflect you know this universe which is ruled by houses in dune or how are we gonna you know reflect magic in the hyborian age in in conan and it can adapt to all those kind of or even you know the 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 utopianism of star trek how it, how it can adapt to all those kind of things so it's uh i think it's a Markable world as a system, probably that it can it can wear all those hats and do it quite successfully. I appreciate too. I think there's a degree of there's the creativity and there's the flexible the creativity that's gone into building a flexible system. But I also think I don't want this to sound corny, but it's like there's I think there's a degree of humility to not assume that this system as is is appropriate for every kind of setting. Like you guys tweak it and you change it and it fits. Um, like I I think you know I, I've played Conan recently and the, 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 the savage, you know, the, the, the crunchier combat rules make sense for that. They make sense. Whereas the pulpy, you know, version of the rules for, for Octon Cthulhu, uh, it makes sense. And then the very high competence hero, like good guy hero take that Star Trek Adventures provides, it, it makes sense for that. It doesn't, it's the same core, but it doesn't yeah. feel the same because the setting is is different. I, I appreciate that. I, I have one last question. Sure, that, all right. That someone asked, someone asked me to ask you. Okay. And I'm actually, I have no idea what this means because I did not play Octun Cthulhu when it was just Call of Cthulhu. I saw it on the shelves and I was like, that sounds really cool. And the art was always compelling, kind of like that, like, mm. like almost smudged watercolor approach. I really dug that. But I never played. I can never go to play with me, so I didn't <laughs> buy it. But now, you know, all in. Um, someone asked, this is a quote, finally, bye-bye, baby. What happened? What was planned? I don't even know what that means. Well, bye-bye, baby was uh, the successor to Acton Cthulhu, if I remember this right, which Chris Birch kind of uh, always pictured as uh, what would follow on after you know, the denouement of Acton Cthulhu. So World War II ends, what happens next? I can't, what can I say here? I don't think that... So it was like Cold War Cthulhu-ish, 50s, 60s time frame? Yeah, but it was kind of 
Yeah, I mean that's you know that's an idea that's 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 gone round. Uh, bye bye baby will continue, but maybe not in the form that the questioner imagined. And I was just like, ah, I have no idea. But someone asked me, and I said, okay, I'll 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 throw it against the wall and see if it sticks. Let me put it that way. I think that's probably the best, the safest way of uh, safest way of expressing. Otherwise, there'll be a napped wolf sniper sort of mark appearing. That'll be bad. <laughs> that would be that would be very bad. Chris, do you have anything else? Uh, no, not really. How about you, John? Anything? Uh, any 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 questions, comments, or or anything for us? I mean, as players and 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 fans. Uh... No, you know, just as always, I love to thank everyone who plays Acting Cthulhu and Two D Twenty games. You know, it's uh, it's always fantastic to sort of see them out in the wild and just hear what great time people are having with them. It's just it it makes all those days when you're you know really slogging away in front of a keyboard really worthwhile um and the only other thing i guess if um anyone's in the uk in december and you want to come and say hello we're at dragon meet uh first saturday in december which is the annual um Odiphius come gaming meet in london so if anyone wants to come along and say hello i'll be there as will a lot of the Modiphius crew. So um, always a good fun day as well. Play games, meet people, talk rubbish. It's all great. <laughs> Chris, you should go. No, I'm busy that weekend. I'm like triple book that weekend. And I'm on the other side of the planet, so. <laughs> one day, maybe, one day. <laughs> one day. Oh, no, I would I'd, I would love to. I've been into the Pacific and places, but I've never I've never been to Europe. I've never been anywhere in, to, you know, I've never been east of Maine. Oh, no. <laughs> I'd um, love to come out so one of these... to some of the big US conventions. I'd love to see them. I hear they're amazing. Yeah, I'd like to do that one day. It's, it's every time you talk about how we have our local convention, it's like this. And I think like we just don't really do that in this country as much. It's like you it's like a massive yeah, thing yeah. in America. Like, oh, a convention, convention, convention. It's like, yeah, that's we don't really do yeah, that yeah, like yeah. as it's much rich. as you guys do. <laughs> and then we're a tiny country compared to we're like that smaller. We're smaller than the size of your state, probably. I think you are about the size of Arizona, but you've got more people. So. Well, John, yeah. I really appreciate you taking the time. Um, really, really appreciate, and I, and you know, you appreciate the work that you have and you continue to put into, and and the the degree of responsiveness to fans and players. Um, I that's one of the things that I. I I love the products that your company puts out, but I, I also, it, it's very clear that you guys, you do this because you love these things too. And you haven't, there's no loss of connection to those who are, who are buying your stuff. I, I, I really, uh, I appreciate that. So, so thank you for that. And thank you for the, the great work. And I appreciate your, uh, your time and willingness to talk to us. Oh, it's been a real pleasure, guys. Always, uh, always have fun having a chat about Act and Cthulhu. And it's, uh, yeah, it's been good to get into it. And hey, you know, we're we're all fans too. So uh, you know, we we love to keep that connection. That's uh, that's something we really appreciate it when you guys love it too. Wonderful. Thanks so much. Yeah. Cheers for that. Thank you very much. Thank you again for listening. And don't forget to join our Discord. Join the conversation. We've got some really interesting things going on. Interesting talks about. Ideas for the systems, ideas for adventures, just general gamer chat. Um, it's turning out to be a friendly place, as we'd hoped. And the link to that is in the notes. Thank you so much for listening. You can visit our show's homepage at anchor.fm slash fluff and crunch. That's F-L-U-F-F-N-C-R-U-N-C-H. 
We would really appreciate feedback and reviews on whatever podcasting platform you're listening to this on. Thanks so much.